Welcome to Two Hearts in a Pod, where Josie and I make HR and accounting fun. So I know you all are on the edge of your seats because this topic is so exciting. Just so, so exciting. What are we talking about today, Josie? <laughs> Record keeping and requirements. And I-9s. Yay! <laughs> so listen, you must comply. This isn't like Karen and Jousey rules. This is FLSA, right? The Fair Labor Standards Act. They're making these requirements. And it's really, really important um, with to follow the FLSA and the Department of Labor, the DOL regulations, okay? So I know it's not the most exciting topic. However, pay attention. Take some notes, maybe, because these are really, really important to follow, especially if you're a business owner. Or maybe you're in HR and you're not so sure how to record keep. Maybe you're uh, new in HR and, and we all learn. Look, you don't know what you don't know. Right, Chelsea? That's correct. And the world is changing so fast with technology. Everything used to be on papers and cabinets back in the day. And, and maybe now, they are. With so. new HR systems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with new HR systems now, right? Uh, things are changing. Right. So we have to keep up to date. Yes, yes. And actually, that's going to be a question I, I have to ask ask you, but we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Okay, so for each employee, business owners must track. You ready for all this excitement? Take notes. Take that's notes. Right. Full name and social security number. Full address. Date. Of birth, sex, and occupation, time, day of the week when it work week begins and ends, basis on which wages are paid, regular hour pay rate, total daily or weekly straight time earnings, total overtime earnings for the work week as well. Additions or deductions from wages. And this is a very important one. Yes, I was just about to add. Because if you don't have an employment handbook, you need one, number one. But number two, your handbook should say what additions and deductions you're taking from wages. So important. And your employees have to approve those deductions from their wages. That's right. That's right. Uh, the total wages paid each pay period. Date of payment and pay period covered. Okay. So that was a list of 12 items that you must track. That is so important. And then if it's a non-exempt employee, which we chatted about last week, but in case you're listening to this podcast, exciting podcast <laughs> first, um, a non-exempt employee 
is someone who gets paid overtime. And that means that they also have to track their hours worked each day and they're in and out for lunch as well as the total hours worked each work week, okay? So what are the hours? Well, 40 hours a week, right? It's 40 hours a week. So let's say, let's say, for example, you are paying your employee bi-weekly, which is every other Friday, okay? And your employee uh, takes has time that she worked overtime in that first week. However, the following week, she has not enough hours. She worked like three hours less, and she wants to use the overtime, the hours from the previous week to the second week. Don't do it. (laughs) Really, really don't do it. (laughs) Okay. You have to pay her the three hours of overtime because it is the requirement, the way the regulation works is each week. That's why it's important to note when the work week begins and ends. Okay? So you have to track those 40 hours each week. That's correct. That's correct. And you also have to be careful when setting up timesheets and using and using um, electronic um, time clocks because I seen before where your pay period is set up for specific days, but your time clock is tracking the start of the week on a different date. Mm. And that causes discrepancy when calculating those overtime hours. Right. So that is a very important point at the time of setup. When you set up your time clocks, make sure they're set up correctly to mirror your pay period. Oh, That is so important. Yes. So uh, remember, you know, I mean, we all want to be kind to our employees and be flexible. Please don't be flexible with this one thing, because if you're not going to be in compliance um, each week, penalties. That's correct. Big penalties. That's correct. For employees who clock in and out, do you think employers should should deduct break times automatically, like lunch breaks, for hourly employees? For hourly employees, their lunch break. You're not talking about a regular break, right? Their lunch break. Their lunch break, uh, they should be clocking in and out for, okay, because... I know that I've dealt with employers who have paid for their lunch breaks, and it's like, no, you don't pay for their lunch breaks because that messes up with the whole overtime thing. Then, you know, make, first of all, just for the mental health, okay? We're talking about health and wellness 
in a couple weeks. But just for the mental health, make your employees take a lunch. Clock out. I don't care if it's for 30 minutes. Okay? I mean, but if they are not clocking out, yes, you have the right. Because how many times do we fail? You know, or our employees are coming to us. I forgot to clock out. Or I forgot to clock back in. And then it looks like they're out for Five hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I've seen where employers automatically set up a 30-minute deduction out of an eight-hour workday for all of their employees in their companies. Why? Just because. They don't want to have to deal with, oh, I forgot to clock in, I forgot to clock out. What what if they take longer than 30 minutes? Or what if they don't? What if they don't take a lunch break? Right. So I've seen this happen, and this is a big no-no. Yeah, don't do that. Like, I've never seen that. Yes, I've seen it plenty of times. Wow. Plenty of times where they're automatically deducting those 30 minutes or an hour. Yeah, don't, don't, don't automatically do that. I mean, just encourage your employees to step away. Get that. We all need to get up and stretch, right? So, yeah. Um, what else do we need to make sure that our, that is getting tracked here? What's our next topic here? So when you keep employee records and files, Mm -hmm. what is important to keep about those files? What type of files should you keep as an employer? Okay. So this is the big question I have for you. Okay. Okay. Because... You know, as you have learned on our previous podcast, Karen is a paper girl and Jossie is not. Okay. So if you are not, there are three separate employee files. Yes, three. That is not a typo. It is three. You need a general employment file which has your employment application, disciplinary action forms, and your basic employment information. You know, all those policies that you have everyone sign, uh, your handbook acknowledgments, all that. Then you have a separate binder or folder that's going to hold all of the I-9 records. I-9 records should never be in an employee's file, okay? Um, I always used um, a binder that was separated, um, had two A to Z dividers, and have the active in the front and the uh, terminated in the back. Okay, and then the third file I always have of medical records, okay, which are your FMLA documents, okay, your Family Medical Leave Act documents, all right. If you're over 50 employers, you have the FMLA, and so those are separate requests. Any uh, disability-related documents, or protected confidential medical-related information, okay? Uh, Because the reason why you have these three separate files is because in the event uh, a court matter comes up, you know, that will violate 
the HIPAA laws, right? And everything else that goes along with all that private giving confidential stuff out, right? So how do you do that remotely and paperless? So I have an HRS, uh, HRIS system that I use. I use many of them, you know, paychecks, gusto, ADP. And within their systems, they already have all of this virtual files set up. And what you do to keep them confidential is you do not give access to those files to people who shouldn't have access to those files. Just because you're a manager or managing that employee doesn't mean that you need to have full access to all of their files. And within those systems, you can give them access to specific tabs or folders within the employee's file. Okay, so what if a company is a small business and they don't have a separate HRIS system and they're using, um, you know, Word and they're saving their employee records and they're scanning all the records maybe um, into into the Word folder. That's very easy. All you have to do is for that specific employees, you create three separate files. You create your file number one, general employment file. Okay. File number two is the I-9. And file number three is the medical records, right, for each employee. And then you give access to the general file to the manager if you have to, but then he doesn't have access to the I-9 or the medical stuff. Okay, so you still are keeping the I-9s, just so I understand, under the employee file. Correct, but in you're a not separate ha- folder. Right, in a I-9. separate folder, but you're not, you're not putting, like, all the I-9s together? Nope. You're still keeping it separate in the employee's... In the employee's file. In the employee's file. So you're setting up... Three folders. Does everyone understand that? Because that is very hard for me to do. This is why I like paper. It's a visual thing for me. I see, I see three folders and a bind. I see two folders and a binder. <laughs> <laughs> and all my I nines are together, all you know, all happy in a binder. Um, that 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 is hard for us paper people. To, to do that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, it, it's really important to understand where are you keeping your employee records? Oh, is it a locked cabinet? <laughs> it should be a locked folder. Yes. It should be a locked folder. And like I said, do not give access to that folder to people who shouldn't have access. So, in my company... My husband is my 50-50 business partner. Okay. But I deal with the day-to-day employee management, employee uh, record keeping. Just because he's an owner doesn't mean that he needs to have access to those records. And I do not give him access to those records. But he's your husband. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. He's, the business, <laughs> he's 50-50, but he doesn't need to have access to those records. He doesn't need to see the employee social security. Right. The this, the that. If he's not a direct manager dealing with that employee, right, right, he does not have to see them. 
Right. So just think about who really needs the access before you give that information away. The other thing that I would have to say, get cyber insurance. That's very, very important. If you're using, if you're using, um, <laughs> I just asked Chelsea if everyone's wondering what that pause was. She's, I'm, she's, as soon as she said, everyone gets cyber insurance, I'm like, do I have that? And she shakes her head, no. <laughs> So good thing I'm on the podcast listening to this, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if you're keeping all of your information, employees, company information, employees information, any type of client information, have cyber insurance for your company. It's very important to keep all of this documents and information confidential and secured. So do you get that just like? Yeah, just like liability insurance. Like, oh, so I any should... type of insurance, you just call up your agent, and they'll be able to provide that. Oh. It's not it's not very expensive, and it covers you like you wouldn't believe. Okay. Yeah. So wherever I get my professional liability insurance from, and my general, I should make sure they have cyber. Yes. Every okay. everyone's going online. And hackers out there want to steal your information. Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little bit. You know, one thing that I want to stress out, it doesn't matter if you're a company of one hiring your first employee or a company of 100. Do not ask your employees to email you their social security number and their IDs. That's a big no-no via email. Set up a secure folder where they can upload their documents if you don't have an HRIS system. But do not have them text you or email that information. If your email as a business owner gets hacked, you are liable for the information that was not secured in your email. Okay, so what... what um what do you recommend? Like, what is a proper uh, So right protection? now, usually every business owner uses a Google Drive, Office 365, anything like that. Right. So set up a, an upload folder. Just create a folder mm -hmm. where if you're going to hire an employee, send them a link to that folder so they can upload their information and then take away the rights to that folder. Of course, it's a, it's a blank folder, right? not going to have anything in it. You give them access to that folder during the onboarding process so they can upload all of their information. This is if you're not using a Gusto or a Paychex or, mm -hmm. you know, any right. of those companies. Then you move those uploader documents into their employee files, mm -hmm. take away the rights of that file, um, folder file to the onboarded employee, and then you do it over and over again. But that way, it's not flowing from their email into your email, and then something happens in between. Emails can be easily hacked. That is a good point. I'm not, I, listen, I'm not going to say I haven't made that. I haven't done that. A lot of people do. And I've, and yeah. I've seen 
Or you're not even asking for it and someone just and sends, someone it. sends it to you. Right. 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 So, you know, this is personal information. And I feel like in a world like today, people give it up so easily. And it's important. Right. You know, to hold dear that information. It's your personal information. Right. Right. So let's talk I-9s. Because this is, you know, part of the process of onboarding an employee. Yes. It's I-9s. Yes. Okay. And this is and this is getting the identification and why there's a separate folder for it. Right. Right. So back in the days, pre-COVID, if you hired an employee, you have to see their to verify an employee with the I-9, you have to request certain documents. And there's a list of required documents. And you're not allowed to tell them which and one to give you. Yes, you're not Don't. allowed. I have seen many onboarding emails say, bring in your passport right. or your driver's license and social security. There is a list that you can choose from and your employer is not allowed to tell you which ID you have to bring to get right. verified. Right. Okay. Right. The second thing is that was that pre-COVID, the employer had to have the actual pictures that the not the picture, sorry, the I actual know. documents in front of them to verify the I nine. Right now, that you can do virtually. It was just extended to verify your I nine until October thirty first, twenty twenty two. Right which you can do virtually, but that doesn't mean that they can send you those those IDs and you just look at them and verify the I-9. You have to have a virtual meeting, a Zoom meeting, or something like that, where you have a copy of the documents that they have already sent, and they're actually showing you live in that meeting what the documents look like. Okay, I have a question. Yes. I got a question because this just happened to me. Okay. So I bought a new car. Yeah, very exciting. Through Carvana, the best buying experience of my life. No stress, no haggle. The price was the price. The they took gave me a great money for my trade and everything. So it came time for them to deliver my vehicle. And they asked me to do a selfie with my driver's license. And I said, well, first, who are you? Like, can you tell me who you are? Like, I, I, Carvana didn't share that this was part of the process because I had already uploaded my driver's license to Carvana, the system. So I felt like I didn't really need to do it again. And the uh, person who was bringing my car called me immediately and he said, I totally understand in the age that we are in, the times, you know, I don't want to give your new car to some stranger just as you are reluctant to send me a selfie. He goes, however, it is part of the process. And so I shared with him, I would have felt better if this process was told to me prior to now saying, they will be asking you for a selfie of your driver's license. So do you think that is good that I text that to him? Yes, of course. Everyone should ask questions. But no one should, but you can't, but I text it. 
Oh, you texted that yeah, information like he, to him. Yeah, he requested it in a text. He said to send. I wouldn't have. It's a selfie. That's why I'm saying. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. I thought. I but thought this is what a major you, company is yeah. doing. Yeah. I feel like they should, first of all, have told you ahead of time what the process was. Right. And then keep that link open where you uploaded your initial documents, right, so that you could reuse it for that selfie that they were requesting at the end and have someone, you know, that driver or whoever it is that needs to have access to that, verify it right within their system where everything is secure or hopefully secure, right? Right. But what if you texted that information? What if the person that delivered the car is a contractor? What if they're using their personal cell phone and not a company provided one? What if, what if, what if? What if their wife goes into that cell phone at night? You know, so there are so many unanswered questions that to me, like I wouldn't have texted that information, but I'm a little paranoid. What do you want me to say? Yeah, I mean, shame, shame on me yeah. as an HR professional. I was just excited about getting a car. <laughs> And when he called me, I did feel better. Um, and then he showed up with the car and took my old one away. I felt really good. I was not really concerned about me taking a selfie. I actually understood it and was happy. But because we did it through texting, that was not probably the best practice. Right. Right. Okay. I get it. I get it. Okay. Woo! That was good. That was a lot of information. Yeah. Gosh, is your, <laughs> even my head is spinning, y'all. <laughs> I love this part of the process. To me, onboarding and the employee management side of it yes. is what gets me going. Yes. It is. The, the process is, it's a lot. However, when it's done right and it's organized, it's, it makes a world of difference. What? Yes. Another thing that we have to say about I-9s, which is very important. Yes. Employers have three days. Three days. To verify the I-9s. Three days. That's it. Three days. You have no idea how many business owners don't ever, 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 ever sign the I-9s or verify them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happens? Tell them what happens when... There's an audit, and those I-9s are not verified. So um, I had a, a business that I did an audit for, and uh, when we were checking all the documents to make sure they had the proper onboarding documents, I said, oh, uh, you have your I-9 records in a separate folder? They said, what's an I-9? <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, I said, okay, sounds like we need to print off some I-9s and get everyone verified ASAP. So we went through the process. We had everyone sign an I-9, bring in whatever documentation they wanted to bring in uh, for verification. And I went online and verified Every employee. There, there were 26, 27 
uh, employees that had to get verified. And there's a button, there's one option that does say, you know, why has it been more than three days? And you just say an audit. It, I think the answer says something like the, an audit revealed it was not done. And so no harm, no foul. Good. Yeah. No harm, no foul. So you don't know what you don't know. That's right. And also, I-9s and W-4s, for that matter, expire. They expire. Please make sure you're keeping up to date with these forms and downloading and giving to your employees the actual um, forms, the non-expired forms. Yeah, shocking. We are in 2022, and it is May. So let's not have them sign a 2021 W-4 and uh, I don't... Or a 1997 I-9, yeah. which I have seen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And be sure to complete page two employers of the I-9. It's not just about the employee on page one. The employer has to verify on page two. Don't be lazy. Don't just attach whatever documents they provide Please, please, please complete all that information, sign off on it, because when there's an audit, they're going to check those I-9s to make sure they're signed and sealed. Right, right, right. Is there a sheet sheet we can provide with a, like a list we can provide to, so they can know what type of records they should keep and like a mini audit type of thing? Yeah, I, I got you. We could uh, do something okay. there. Um, and it's important that um, where you keep your records, too. Like, they have to either be in the place of employment or in a central records place. Like, whether it's the files, like, Jousey, the, the whole remote thing, or in a central records office for a period of three years. Okay, three years. Yep. I've seen some um, bigger companies um, set their own rules and keep everything for seven years. Okay. So that's something to think about. It's just, you know, companies with usually with more than 50 or 100 employees, they just keep everything for seven years. Okay. So what if an employee is there for 15 years? They're not going to keep the 15 years of history? No, after employment ends. Oh, after employment ends. Okay. So with I-9s, the, yeah. the question always comes up is, when do you have to re-verify an I-9? What do you mean? When do you have to verify it? Re-verify it. Oh, re-verify. So if a, an employee leaves the company and they come back, you do have to uh, recertify. So, yeah, I thought it was three months, 90 days, but then I second-guessed myself. I should. Never second guess. Always go with your gut instincts. It's always normally the best practice. So also you have to re-verify when you have employees working with conditional immigration status. Okay. Right. So if they come with a visa, they start working with you and they have a visa. Right. And then they get their permanent resident card, then you should re-verify the I-9. Absolutely. But you should never, ever, ever re-verify a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident. Okay. 
Unless they leave the company and come back. But let's say you have a permanent resident working for you and the resident's card expires, you know, they've been working for you for five years and year three, their resident um, paperwork expired. You do not have to re-verify them. Right. Even if, if it expired. Right. So. Right. Woo! This was a lot. This was very, very exciting. See how we make it fun here, HR and accounting. You never thought record keeping could be this fun. So we are, again, have a very exciting topic for next week. And honestly, you're going to want to come back for this one. Okay? Because right now... It is what 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 are we in right now? A peace out mode for employees, right? There are uh, the great resignation, peace out. So next week we're going to be talking about the costs of employee turnover. So thank you for joining Two Hearts in a Pod, where we make HR and accounting fun. Crush your week. See ya.